Each of our lives, each of our stories has a what, a why, and a how. So what is just simply what do you spend your time doing? What is it that interests you? What consumes your time? Why is the, the motive, the purpose, the ultimate goals that you are pursuing and saying, this is the reason why I do those what's. And the how is kind of what energizes you, what empowers you, what is it that, that drives or animates you. And my guess is if you asked a collection of just random people, friends, coworkers, family members, someone you meet on the street, to talk about these kinds of things. Number one, they would love to talk about that because people love talking about themselves. They love it when you're interested in their story and getting a backstory even of what makes them tick. But I also think that if you were to ask a handful of people these kinds of questions, generally you would hear answers like this. In terms of a what, I think people would immediately go to their profession or their occupation. They would say something like, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, I'm an attorney, I'm an architect, I'm an electrician, I'm a delivery driver, I'm a stay-at-home mom, which means I do a million different things that I don't get paid for, right? So they would talk to you about those kinds of what's. They would talk to you about hobbies and interests. I like to read, I like to watch sports, I like to go jogging, I like to work out, I like to surf social media for minutes and hours on end until my thumbs get sore. Why do you do those things? Well, I think a lot of people would just realize the moment you ask them that question, why do you do that? What is the purpose? What is the aim of your life? What's your goal here? I think a lot of people would realize they haven't given it a ton of deliberate thought. And so they may say something like, well, I'm just trying to live a decent, moral, happy life. I mean, I don't know, I make decisions that seem to contribute to my happiness and hopefully the happiness of others, but I, I guess I haven't given it a ton of thought. I would like to be successful. I would like to be comfortable. I want to be happy. I want to be wealthy, some might even say, and these are goals that they're pursuing with what they're doing. And then the, the how, again, I think this is a question that a lot of people don't think about deliberately. How do I do those things? They would just say, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a self-made person. I guess I just have an internal drive. Like, I know what my goals are, and I just work hard to achieve those goals. So I want you to think about this. Literally billions of people right now are going to spend 30 or 40 or even 50 years of their lives working at jobs that they hope will afford them some measure of satisfaction, some measure of prosperity, some ability to have financial security, if not now, at least down the road so they can enjoy those years. And if they're lucky, they may even enjoy what they do for that three, four, or five decades. What words would you use to summarize the narrative that I just described for you? Working decade after decade after decade, just hoping for some measure of happiness, some measure of fulfillment, some ultimate goal of, I guess I hope to relax one day and eat, drink, and be merry because then I know there's death coming. And I, I just think that's a depressing narrative to me. It's kind of a futile narrative. It's a little bit of a nihilistic narrative. It's insanity. But this is what most people are doing. 
And in my role, I have the privilege of actually asking a lot of people these questions. What is it that you do? Why do you do that? How do you do that? Because, you know, I get to be a pastor and I get to ask a lot of people, hey, tell me about yourself. And people, again, like, they love to talk about, like, what they do, what they enjoy. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's not wrong to talk about yourself and enjoy talking and sharing these things. But what I want to bring us to this morning is just the, the understanding, the recognition that if you were to ask 50 non-Christians, people that identify as like, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and you ask 50 Christians the same couple questions, the narratives that came out of those 100 people would probably, in most cases, sound surprisingly similar. That just because people identify as a Christian, and I think they would say, look, I'm more likely to read my Bible, I'm more likely to attend church, I'm more likely to tithe or do something with my money that's generous, but by and large, I think our answers would be shockingly similar to the world's answers. We just default to this cultural narrative of, I guess this is what life is about. You just work, 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 8, 10, 12, even more hours a day so that hopefully one day you get to enjoy a few years before you die. And that's crazy. And what I want to come to this morning, what I want to come to in the month of January is this new series, Supernatural. And what I'm inviting you to consider is that God does not want anyone defaulting to a shallow, a superficial, or a self-centered narrative that you, you, like even in moments of cogent thought, you're like, this, this is not good. Like, what, what is the point of this? And some of you may even looking at your own life in 2021 as other people set goals around you. You're like, I don't even know what my goals are. I'm just going around again. I'm going to do this again. And hopefully it turns out a little bit better than it did last year with COVID and racism and a presidential election and all this mess, but we just default to this narrative. So this graphic, it was just an image that's been in my mind for several weeks leading up to this, where I think very often what we see of a person's life is like the part of the iceberg that's on top of the water. And for some people, unfortunately, there isn't much more substance than that to their lives, to their goals, to their decision-making processes. But what's underneath the water there, the substance, the depth, the richness is what I want us to go after as followers of Jesus this year and say, Lord, would you do something supernatural in me? Would you do something supernatural through me so that I am daily dependent on your power and your presence, but I'm daily experiencing the joy that comes along with that? And what we're going to do in January is we're going to contrast the, the natural default posture of the human heart and the cultural narrative with a supernatural story that God is calling you into. And as I said, the first three questions are what, how, and why and then on the 24th, I want to consider with whom, and on the, on the 31st, in what manner. So five questions about all of our lives that all of us can answer, and are we inviting God to do something truly supernatural? So today, we're going to look at just the what question, and I want to start with that thing that you do eight or 10 or 12 hours a day as soon as your holiday's over, and that is your profession. And all of you know what your occupation or profession is. You could say, again, like, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a school teacher, I'm an accountant, I'm a, I'm a driver, I'm a plumber, I'm a painter, I'm an artist, I'm a student. And I would guess that for many of you, your occupation 
your career does not feel integrated into your spiritual life. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but probably many of you feel like I go to church on Sundays or I'm tuning in on the live stream. I'm gathering as best I can and I am worshiping and I'm interested in what God is doing in my life. And I'm, I'm even in this small group, this gospel community, and I even serve. But aside from that, I go off to work and it just feels disconnected. It feels like something totally different. Like something feels sacred and transcendent about church life, but then I go to my job and it just feels secular. I mean, how are you supposed to be a Christian dentist or a Christian plumber? You know, is there, is there a Jesus way of fixing a cavity or a leak? And you may even be thinking that way. Like, I don't know how being a follower of Jesus relates to the job that I do over and over and over again. If I did know, I would do that, but I don't see a connection, Okay. So this morning, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about a supernatural profession. And by that, I don't mean a profession of a truth, but I mean your profession, your occupation. Under these three points, we're going to look at a perspective, certain priorities, and then some practices. Because each week, I want this to be super practical, where you're taking something away and saying, if I do these things in faith, I'm inviting God to do something truly supernatural in my everyday life. So begin here with, number one, the right perspective. And what I mean by this is I want each of us to learn to think of what we're doing, not just as a job or its work or its occupation or even a career, but I want you to think of it as a vocation. I say that because vocation comes from a Latin word, which means literally a call or a summons to something. And I want you to understand work is not a part of the curse. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and God has this perfect creation and he places man and woman in this garden, he gives them this calling. Genesis 1:28, he says, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion." This is often called the cultural mandate. So he's not just saying, "Hey, there's a garden, go work." And work, 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 work. And it might be futile, but you might have some happiness, but eventually you're going to die because you're going to sin. You're going to eat that fruit, and it's going to go bad, and you're going to die. So, no, he says, here is a calling. Here is a vocation. Yes, there's the garden. So be fruitful. Fill it. Multiply. Have dominion over it. In other words, steward it well. And the first job in history, Adam and Eve, in the garden, was to work and keep a garden so that it reflected the glory of the creator and so that it brought maximum benefit, okay? Now, regardless of your specific job or career or vocation right now, regardless of what it is that you do, maybe you're even a student, many of you, okay? Instead of approaching your job with an earthly perspective of like, you know, I gotta do this thing. Some of you love your job, that's great. You're, you're, one, of the, you're one of the lucky ones. Uh, but some of you are just like, it's just the thing I do. Like, I learned how to do it. That's what I went to school for. That's why we call it an occupation. And the human perspective is just like, how do I get by? How do I make more money? How do I climb the corporate ladder? How do I ultimately get the role that I actually want by paying my dues, doing all the things that I don't want to do? 
okay? And instead of that, approach your vocation with a divine perspective, which is like, how do I glorify God here? How do I serve others beyond my own self-interests, okay? So that's a perspective. So you're walking back tomorrow, and you're getting ready to fix that toilet. You're getting ready to teach that class. You're getting ready to lead some people in the next of thousands of online Zoom calls, but you're thinking, God, you have called me to something here. So I want this vision, I want this new perspective to approach what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to fix through a Christian lens of calling, okay? That's the right perspective. Now, the right priorities, and I want to just read for you an overview for you Four scriptures here that each build on each other, and then I want to draw a conclusion or a statement from these, okay? So these are the words of Jesus, Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Okay, so you're starting to see a pattern, hopefully, where Jesus says, follow me, learn from me, now do as I do. Okay, let me give you one more. First John 2, 5 through 6, so then John the Apostle comes along and says, by this... We may know that we are in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So in Jesus' day, the message of verses like these are, is, is actually very clear because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Okay? And the, the relationship between a rabbi and their pupil was very different than just like a boss and an employee or even a slave and master or even many times a teacher and a student today. Because a teacher and student today, generally the relationship is characterized as the transmission of information, right? And many of you, especially with Zoom classes that elementary, high school, college, even graduate students are going to these days, you don't have a relationship with your teacher. Not like that you don't. But their goal, their, their mission, their job description is to communicate information so that you learn the information so that you can go be successful in life. A Jewish rabbi, by contrast to that, it was not so much about information and the transmission of data, or you need to learn this in your head. The relationship was more like an apprenticeship. It has come to me. And life on life, we have first and foremost a relationship. Okay, this is why you had to respect the character of the rabbi that you were choosing to learn from because his main thing was not to transmit information but the transmission of character, the transmission of a lifestyle. But as you're spending time with this rabbi and these students together, there's a shaping of personality and character and lifestyle and vocation. 
The rabbi's saying things like, Jesus, listen to what I say, watch what I teach, but also do as I do and conform your life to the patterns of my life. So this is your first priority, regardless of your specific vocation. And again, your vocation is the, you're the plumber, you're the accountant, you're the architect, you're the delivery driver. Regardless of what your specific vocation is, you are an apprentice of Jesus. You're an apprentice of Jesus. And by the way, I think this would be an incredibly helpful way for Christians to start to talk. I'm not opposed to the term Christian, although I also don't love what it's come to represent in our culture. You know, if you lead off a conversation with someone you're getting to know and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I would guess that immediately they have all kinds of baggage in their mind of what that means. They're probably thinking, oh, okay, so you're one of those religious hypocrites that it's like, do as I say, not as I do. You're against greed and adultery and slander, but then you all vote for Trump. You know, and so like our culture has certain attachments, fair or unfair, to the term Christian. And as soon as you say, I'm a Christian, maybe you yourself are thinking this way. What does it mean to you? that you're a Christian. Well, many of you would say, well, it means I believe in Christ. I believe in God. That's great, but that's not even scratching the surface of what Jesus actually invited you into. Yes, of course believe, but what does that mean? The demons believe in Jesus, okay? True Christianity is a followership. It's this is where Jesus is going. And he says, come, follow me every day of your life. Learn from me. Do as I do. Now go and do, okay? So regardless of your specific vocation, you're an apprentice of Jesus. Come follow me. Trust Jesus, but your life looks like I'm actually learning from this guy. I'm learning from his words, and it doesn't matter if you're an artist or an administrative assistant, you're a, you know, a, a lawyer or a librarian, a plumber or a preacher, you can do this first point and say a supernatural profession would be making Jesus the center of my life and following him and copying him. That's my profession. That's what I'm going to do this year of my life. But this is only half the story. So apprenticeship is great. It's the foundation of your profession, but it is not the fulfillment of your profession. The spiritual disciplines are important. Character is important. Learning theology, learning about life from Jesus is important. But it's not the whole story. Okay. Now I want you to imagine someone that's training as a football player. They lift, lift weights daily, heavy, heavy weights, getting very strong, lots of cardio. He's watching everything he eats. He's like every day, he's in his playbook. Like, what does the game of football look like? What is, what is a trick play? How do I sniff that out? What's a blitz package? What's all this? Okay, I'm reading the playbook. I'm understanding this. I'm running the routes. I'm, I'm going through the drills moment by moment, day after day after day. I even hire a sports psychologist to get my mind right for the game of football but that person lacks one thing. He never joins a team and he never plays the game. You'd be like, hey, you kind of fell short. Like you are, you are a physical, physical specimen. You're the most athletic person I've ever seen and you know the game of football mentally better than anyone I've ever met. But you don't play. You're not in the game. And I think sometimes a lot of Christians can be like that, where they read the Bible, they pray, they attend church, they tie, they have pretty decent character, but 
they're just doing the drills. And for what? And that's why this second priority is so important. I say, regardless of your specific vocation, you're an apprentice of Jesus. But also, secondly, regardless of your specific vocation, you are an ambassador of Jesus. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And the Father did not send Jesus, the eternal Son, down from heaven just so he could be an outstanding carpenter, build a nice family life for someone, be well-respected, you know, not real risk-taking, not really standing out, just kind of mediocre and middling, but, but a good person, join the local synagogue, maybe volunteer from time to time. That's not why God sent Jesus. Matthew 4, 23 and 9, 35 say, Jesus went proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. In other words, the Father sent the Son to proclaim and to model the gospel of the kingdom in word and deed. Jesus' entire life, even when he wasn't doing miracles, was all about, I'm going to show you what the kingdom of God is like. And I'm going to invite you to experience the power and the wonder and the love and the grace of that kingdom here on earth. Okay, here's the thing then. Then Jesus tells his followers, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, what I was sent to do, I'm handing off to you. Go and proclaim. Go and live. Go and model what the kingdom of God is like in word and deed. And I want you to understand, that's not less than evangelism. It's not less than walking someone through scriptures that bring conviction for sin and leading them to the hope of Jesus. It's way more than that. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Paul, the apostle, writes these famous words to a church and says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Okay, what's an ambassador? It's someone that represents someone else's interest. If you're an ambassador of the United States to a foreign country, you go and live in that country, you know, as a kind of exile. You're living in that place. And you're kind of assimilating into the culture. You're not just trying to be weird for the sake of being weird and being like American for the sake of being American and like, I don't eat your food, I don't dress like you, I don't do any of this stuff. No, you, you adapt to a lot of the culture that's neutral or even beautiful in a lot of ways. But what is your priority as an ambassador of the United States? It's to represent the interests of the United States in that place. I was just thinking this week as I'm thinking about being an apprentice to Jesus and being an ambassador of Jesus, and I'm like, what is it that makes a good ambassador? Well, I think number one, it's someone who's all in. Like, I believe in what I'm representing. You know, if you were going as a foreign ambassador and you're like, yeah, I don't agree with my government either. I think he's crazy. You know, oh, that decision, that was terrible. You know, if, if, if you're not all in yourself, It'd be really hard to go to other people and try to put your best foot forward as in this is what we believe. This is what's important to us. So you got to believe in what you're representing, number one. 
But then number two, I think you have to care about the people that you're representing that to. Like, how does this benefit you? And how does this benefit them in building a bridge then, in reconciling relationships, in helping us understand a two-way conversation, okay? So then wisdom, curiosity, something that enables you to listen to people and then speak words that are thoughtful and helpful to build bridges, okay? And what I want you to understand is that whatever your natural vocation or occupation or job is, wouldn't you love to experience this substantive richness and depth that I'm talking about, where instead of just it being like, oh man, another day back at the grind, weekend's over, you know, living for the weekend, but I got to go back to it Monday, you know, back in the office or back in the home office, another Zoom call, another lesson prep, another brief I got to write, another surgery I got to do. Wouldn't you love something more transcendent, a sense of a supernatural that you're bringing to that next surgery, that next brief, that next lesson plan, that next client? Okay, practically how? Let me wrap up with this. I got three, three suggestions for you, three things if we're like, you know, mentally this sounds good. I want that supernatural. I want that part that's under there, that's deep, that's rich, that's substantive, that's durable, that's resilient. I want that in my life. Okay, how do we do that? Right practices. Number one, follow Jesus by putting his words into practice. Follow Jesus by putting his words into practice. And with each of these, I'm going to give you an action step or two, just to be super practical, okay? Action step here. Get the word of God in you, like daily. This is what apprenticeship to Jesus is. Like if we're going to, if Jesus says, follow me, come with me, now learn from me. So back then you could have sat at his feet and just listened like, oh my word, Sermon on the Mount, this is incredible. I've never heard stuff like this before. And that's what people said in encountering Jesus time after time, town after town, word after word. They're like, we've never heard someone speak with this kind of authority. So one of the goals of our lives, if we're going to live in apprenticeship to Jesus, is like, God, I want to be in your word every day. And I want to listen to the things that you are saying and revealing to me. I just want to get that in me. And some days, by the way, you're going to come to Leviticus and the begats and like all kinds of stuff. And you're going to be like, I don't see what benefit this is doing me. But you get it in you. And you get it in you. And you get it in you. And sometimes later you look back and you're like, well, I had no idea. Just even the discipline to sit at Jesus' feet with an open Bible, as it were what impact that would have on my life of actually opening to me the richness of his character and his love and his grace and his justice so that I understand myself and my world and the complexities of the issues that I face and I can go serve him better because I'm getting his word in me. And I think this is why so many professing Christians have left such a stain on the title Christian. It's just they would say, oh yeah, I, I know Jesus but by not actually knowing him, walking with him daily in the word, the reality is they know about Jesus. They're like, yeah, I heard that story. And there's that, that reaction of certain Christians who are like, oh, you, you, could not, you could not say anything I have not already read. I've heard all the stories. 
versus I know some unbelievably mature Christians who are like, more, more. And even if it's the same familiar thing, like Christmas Eve service or Easter, it's like, I want to hear it again. I want to rehearse it again. I want to get it in me again. And of course, they are learning new things because they're learning in relationship, not just simply learning information. But the heart of this action step, I said, follow Jesus by putting his words into practice. In other words, don't stop with just, okay, I read my Bible today, check, check the box. You know, and some of you even have those lists for this year, and those are great because you can keep track of where you're supposed to read. So those are good. But it's not just checking the box and like information. I had one little takeaway. But we want that information to migrate from our brains to our hearts and our wills to actually be changing our behavior and our reactions to things, okay? So I suggested to you in the e-news one Bible reading plan. You don't have to do that one, but I would say get a Bible reading plan, something strategic, something intentional, and communicate it to someone. Maybe even get a buddy who's doing the same thing with you, like reading the same thing, and so that, you know, not every day, but once a week, twice a week, you could bounce some thoughts off each other. Hey, what did you think about that Cain and Abel story? That's weird, right? Because, you, you know, you started in Genesis 1 two days ago. But as you go through and you get stuck, having that accountability, having that friendship, that relationship around God's word, that's usually what apprenticeship was. It's a bunch of people doing it together, okay? So follow Jesus by putting his words into practice. Number two, Flip your perspective to see your work as a calling. And that one flip of vision has the potential to transform so much of your everyday life. Okay, so an action step here would be simply, before you even go back to work tomorrow, many of you, you would do well to take 10 minutes to think, what are the earthly perspectives that dominate my field of work? my occupation, my vocation, my career? What, what are the main things that people are doing? What are the main things that people are working for? What are their goals? What are their objectives? How is success defined in my field of work? How is failure defined in my field of work by basically everyone else? Okay, what's the narrative that people are living for in my job? Work your way up, you know, become partner, get a certain number of people under you reporting to you. What does success look like, okay? So you're doing that, but then you're saying, what has God called me to accomplish through my work? And now that I've flipped the perspective to think about it as a vocation, I'm saying, what did God call me to accomplish here today? I mean, it may be fixing that toilet, but it's something more transcendent than that. It's something more resilient than just that thing. Okay, how does God define success or failure in this role? And I'll come back to in two weeks, Lord willing, I'll come back to and focus on the why question of life. Like, what is the purpose of life? If we're doing nothing else, if we have no other goal or aim, what is the main goal? What is the main aim? I'll come back to that. But for now, you can at least begin asking, how can I honor God here? Because that's what he's called me to do. How can I reflect something of his kingdom here? How can I seek the benefit of other people here? And you see what you're doing? You're inviting God to embody your everyday work. Instead of just going and punching the time clock, filling out the report, doing the thing, you're saying, God, 
I want to deliberately fulfill the first and greatest commandment to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbors myself. And I want to do that through my daily work. That's the flip of vision or perspective. Then finally, forward, move forward, advance the comprehensive kingdom purposes of Jesus. And I think this is really where we get to the the nitty-gritty of supernatural profession. It's not, I need to go to work and take company time to, to win everyone to Jesus or invite them to church. I'm not saying to do things that are unethical, but I want you to think for a moment about a brand ambassador, okay? You know, there are actually people that go around from like Nike and Adidas, and they go to major colleges, and they say, hey, we see that you're wearing the Adidas jerseys, we think you should switch to the Nike swoosh jerseys. Now, if you're a brand ambassador and you're trying to get someone to wear your brand or eat your brand or brush your teeth with their, your brand or whatever your brand is, what do you think is an effective tactic as a brand ambassador? I'm going to ridicule people who aren't wearing our brand. Right? I'm going to bully people. Or I'm going to do the fear-mongering thing of like, if you, don't, if you don't wear our brand, I mean, God only knows what's going to happen to you if you don't start eating our brand. See, these are not effective tactics, but they're what even Christians do in sharing Jesus. Bullying, you're not as good as me, what's wrong with you, treating people as dumb until they accept what you believe. Versus what a brand ambassador actually does is just making their brand attractive. You want to wear our brand. You want to eat this. Like, look at these happy people over here. They were super sad before. Like, start watching commercials, like at halftime of a football game or during your favorite show or something. Don't fast forward through them. You'll see all these. They're saying, like, look how miserable this person was before until they started using Listerine mouthwash instead of the other brand, you know? This is what it did for them. It changed their life. Okay, so the action step here is discern some of the kingdom purposes of God that intersect with your work. I'm going to give you some examples. To liberate the oppressed, to heal the sick, to make the foolish wise, to fight for justice, to reconcile broken relationships, to celebrate beauty, to bring joy, to give a future hope. Okay, see, when we have this reductionist view of how can I be Christian in my workplace, and we're like, I don't know, I do my work well and I tell people about Jesus, and we, we don't think of it beyond that as like this supernatural thing that we can constantly engage in, but as soon as you're thinking like, Okay, I'm going to get Jesus' words in me, and I'm going, to, I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to learn from him, and I'm going to do as he did, and I'm going to walk in his footsteps. Now, all of a sudden, this whole world opens to you where, like, Jesus was doing stuff all the time. And even when he wasn't explicitly sharing the gospel, which is the heart and soul of it, he's still advancing the kingdom of God 100% of the time. Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what intersects with what I'm doing? How can I do some of those things? And the action step is to demonstrate the surpassing desirability of Jesus and his kingdom, his program, his narrative, his storyline, 
You don't just say that Jesus is the answer. You don't just attack and criticize and condemn other worldviews, other activities. You show people, look how compelling the gospel is. Like, you want an end of racism? Do you know whose story that is? That's Jesus' story. And let me show you what he did to say it stops with us. Okay, you want justice for the oppressed? Nobody was for that more than Jesus. And you're going through things that people are actually dealing with in your various vocations and workplaces, and you're saying, here's a kingdom vision for that. And I want to reiterate, this is not less than sharing the gospel, it's more. Doing justice, loving mercy, seeking restoration, promoting beauty, bringing joy is never a waste of time. And I would just close quickly with a personal example, and I'm just going back to the worst job of my life. And I mean job as in like something I had to do for a long time, not as like a single task. But like right out of college, I was like, man, it's going to be awesome. I'll go be a youth pastor somewhere. Everybody's going to be fighting over me. And uh, nobody called, so I was like, well, this stinks sitting around the house. I'm going to go talk to the temp firm. And the temp firm's like, go work at the mattress factory. And that was humbling. So I'm like working at the mattress factory putting mattresses inside covers that could be taken off and washed. And it was miserable. And I was miserable. And I told God about it every day. <laughs> I'm miserable. This, I'm better than this, you know. And a transition, a transformation happened. I remember having this long conversation with God. And he wasn't really saying anything back. Um, but then I thought... Okay, what am I really doing if I think beyond just like an opportunity to share Jesus in the most explicit way I can think of that and just think of what is the kingdom purpose of God here? So I started asking questions of my boss. Like, who gets, where do these mattresses go? Who gets these? Oh, they go to hospitals and nursing homes. Okay, what are, what are the different air chambers that we're putting in these things? Well, they're connected to these motors that they inflate certain chambers with air and they deflate other ones. And what this does is if someone's like lying there for a long period of time, maybe in ICU, maybe in a coma, the nurse by herself can actually roll a patient back and forth all by herself or all by himself so that they don't develop bed sores. So I go home and it'd be anachronistic to say I Googled it because Google wasn't a thing. So I, I internet searched it somehow and I looked up bed sores, and I was like, ooh, yeah, like, and, and do this. Like, don't do it right now, because we'll have gasps all over the room. They're horrible. They're hideous. And I thought, so I'm a piece of a company that makes something so that doesn't happen to people. How much like Jesus is that? who cares about the oppressed, who cares about the sick, who cares about the person that can't roll themselves over. He loves them. He's a healer. He's filled with compassion and pity toward people. So even this worst job of my life, if I can think about advancing this big kingdom purpose, now it takes on a meaning. of I'm not, I'm not just cutting out fabric or stuffing something inside something else and then sealing it in a plastic bag to be shipped off somewhere and bored out of my mind but I'm contributing to that beautiful aspect of God's kingdom. And it became something, something uh, supernatural, something transcendent, something resilient, something that I could actually look forward to going to do. So this is our first leadoff for this year, asking God for supernatural professions, apprenticeship to Jesus, 
ambassadors of Jesus, we're following him, we're representing him. And I think in doing so, we find our own purpose. Like, this is what God made me for. So next week or the week after when I'm seeing, like, what, what power now animates me to do that? I know what I'm doing. I'm following Jesus, and I'm representing him, and that's my actual profession no matter what I do. Let's go. Let's do it, all right?